All right. We last week took a look at, uh, well, two weeks ago, took a look at Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. We're in John 13, starting at 18 this time. Uh, unless anybody had any holdover questions from, from a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is much more open in the book of John than he is in others about what's about to occur. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Now, this is a betrayal no matter how you look at it, no matter what culture you come from. It is the absolute biggest betrayal you can do in Jesus's culture. Once you eat with somebody, you have established a bond with them. Um, in some societies, if you save a life, you are responsible for that person for the rest of their life. Other societies, if you save a life, they owe you the rest of your life. And th their cultures have their different rules. To the Jews, you were who you ate with. And that's why in Luke, the table keeps getting brought up. He's eating with the sinners here. He's eating with sinners there to show you that Jesus has found community with the very ones that the world would throw away. But it goes even deeper than that, and we've, we've said this before months and months ago. If you walked into a village uh, in most Middle Eastern places, or you're around the Bedouin, or the Tuareg in, in, in Northern Africa, and you were hungry and thirsty, they would be under obligation to feed and water you, you know, to, to give you comfort. Now, that doesn't mean it always happens, please, but that's the obligation, but it goes further. Once that's done, if the police or another tribe comes and says, we're looking for this guy, <coughs> excuse me, and we, you know, uh, we're going to take him and hurt him, you're not allowed to let them because you've eaten with them. You fed them. This is your person now. The... Um, the SEALs found this out in Afghanistan and found a way that it can work in a way that it doesn't. You know, Lone Survivor has a whole chapter in that about what happened to Marcus Luttrell when he was found broken, sewing bones broken, by a tribe there that was not Taliban but was friendly with the Taliban. And yet they found him, they were under obligation. And he said every day and every night he would hear them arguing and yelling at each other about what they'd gotten themselves into. Because the Taliban would come and they would say no, and the Taliban would say, we're going to kill you. And they'd say, well, we can't help it. It was, this is, this is the ultimate betrayal, to take somebody you ate with and turn them into the authorities to be killed, especially if they're innocent. So he, he mentions it, as it comes out of Psalm 41. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Now, isn't that a weird phrase? I believe that the apostles believed in Jesus, but I don't believe they understood entirely who he was. Do you understand what I mean by that? Um, oh, and Barry, I've read your book. It was great, and I've got it on my table, so I want to make sure I get it back to you. It really was a good book. It was misreading, misunderstanding, or misreading, misreading scripture through Western eyes. Really good book. Um, I'm not trying to encourage you to loan me books. <laughs> I, I have books, and I haven't done coloring all of them. There, I think that it is very easy to think you know who Jesus is 
and not. And I believe that that's what he's going for here. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So once again, you hear that Middle Eastern hospitality. When you take them in, you've taken in me. Does that remind anybody else of Matthew 25? You're going into heaven because you fed me. You visited me in prison. You gave me clothes. The way you treat others. Now, ministers have a, a lot of special difficulties and traps. One of them is we'd like to tell stories to illustrate something good. But when we tell that story about ourselves, it can be self-serving. All right? That said, uh, I had to have um, a little medical thing this, this week, a little test. And afterwards, I hadn't stopped at a steak and shake in years, and now I remember why. But I, I went in, and um, I was thinking, wow, this food is cheap. And you know something? It was. But what really hit me, and I told Cammie when I came home, was a, the young lady, probably late 20s, maybe early 30s, who was the waitress at a steak and shake. Now, people, when the, the total check is five bucks, I worried about her. How in the world is she going to make this? And I would see people leave some coins on the table, and, that, and they may be leaving 20% for her, but I thought she could work 80 hours a week and starve because they don't get minimum wage. Uh, waiters and waitresses, don't, that, that rule's not for them. She has to make a lot of it on tips. And if you don't tip her, the, the IRS assumes you did. And they, they make her pay that. I mean, it's a bad deal. So I ended up leaving twice as much tip as the check was just because I felt, you know, this is, this is awful. How do you treat those that cannot do anything good for you in return? I really got a lot of that from my parents, but I also got a lot of it from Jesus's culture because they believed that if you fed a beggar and if you were hospitable to a beggar, you were being hospitable to God. And so that's important that we remember this because that's what Jesus is assuming you know when he talks about things like this and hospitality and kindness that you know that when you show hospitality to anyone, it's as if you've done it to God. Now, does it always work? No. I'm, I, my heart breaks for a lot of folk in Florida right now, but one, um, one of those people, uh, two of them, is the couple that took in this young man when nobody else would take him. And they didn't know any of the background. They didn't know that the FBI had had two strong warnings and didn't follow up. They did not know that police and sheriff combined had made 39 visits to his house for violence, threats, and such through the years and taken no action. They didn't know that the school had already... You, know, all the, you want to talk about dropped balls? This, this is like the shooting in Texas in the church because that man not only should never have had a firearm because... He was mentally ill, and that's how they kicked him out of the Air Force. He was mentally ill. They kicked him out of here. Nobody went and filed the paper, and so he was able to get firearms. It was government failure on all of this. And I look at this couple. They were trying to be hospitable, and it rose up and bet them. I want to tell you something. If you're hospitable, it will sometimes. But we're told to do it anyway. Don't be stupid. If you see somebody there... Um, that you know is scamming you, you don't have to go. You don't have to do this.
But if there's a doubt, see where God leads you on that. And I think giving is better than not giving, usually. But that's, that's me. Here again, if you accept me, you're accepting God. And it's just this whole thing of this is our community. Jesus has given him hints, but he's still very troubled in spirit. Remember at the washing of the feet, he wasn't saying anything. And there seems to be a bit of a sharpness between him and Peter. Finally, he just says, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. I think he got tired of them not getting the story, not getting the hint. And he tried and he tried and he tried, and they're just still not getting it. Therefore, they are not feeling with him, having compassion with him. They don't get it. And they need to get it because something's going to happen that's going to affect them profoundly for the rest of their lives. They need to understand that what happens to Jesus is only the first domino to fall in their life. That phrase in, in King James, verily, verily, or truly I tell you, isn't it fascinating that in America, generally speaking, when somebody says, well, to tell you the truth, and you assume it's going to be a lie, right? Especially if it's a politician, but that's to tell you the truth. In Britain, they don't have that. They have another expression, and I, I use it a lot, but then I realize people don't really get it. They'll say, to be honest, to be honest, and then they'll say something which might put them in a bad light. Like, to be honest, I've never cared for you. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I don't like Brussels sprouts. To be honest, I've never cared for that. And it's, it's a self-revelation that might ch change your opinion of them. But they don't have this, well, to tell you the truth. I don't know where we got that and why we misuse it as we do. But doesn't it make it harder to read this? Because Jesus said, all right, I'm going to tell you the truth. In the Semitic way of saying, this is him saying, you need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is important that you get this. We don't have a one word for that. They did. So he's saying, listen, because you're not getting it. One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at each other at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Generally speaking, people think this is John. Uh, I, I think it's John, but there's a really good argument that it might not be an apostle at all. It might be a disciple, and that's why he's called a disciple, and it might be Luke. And there's some really good evidence for that, but I haven't quite tumbled over that wall yet. Regardless, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Anybody ever had a bigger sister or a big brother that if you asked them would go and ask for you? I didn't. I had three sisters. They wished me dead. But um, at least I'm pretty sure I'm saying that. One of my sisters listens, and she's actually a pretty good friend of mine. But not so much on the day. You know, back then, it was, it was an old competition. He's saying, cool. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now, you know, Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code and all this other tries to make a big deal of this leaning against. And there, there's some people that then they'll, you know, here's John but with the long hair. No, that's Mary Magdalene. Please remember all the pictures come from ages and ages after Jesus. They don't know what he looked like, so they painted what people they thought looked good look like. Uh, that said, they make a lot of this leaning on. You, you may not know this, but there's a it's not big, but it's loud. Um, a minority community within the gay community 
which has argued that Jesus was gay because he hung out with guys and they leaned on each other in the dinner. Have you ever seen how they, they eat? They're eating reclined. So you turn around like this, you're leaning on the guy, asking a question. This isn't, you know, a cuddle. This is something else. Just don't put our culture into their culture. Besides, in most cultures, men have a lot more bodily contact than they do in America. Uh, you get a lot closer. You can see them holding hands because they're just friends. They'll kiss each other on the cheeks. I don't go to those places. It's upsetting. Uh, but I, 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 I go, to, go to England where nobody's kind to anybody. Uh, I, 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 oh, you know, these are my people. Um, they're saying, All right, who's it? who is it? So Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread when I dipped it in the dish. Then dipping a piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. There's so much in this. I don't think Jesus is whispering. I think he's laying it out there in front of them. He may even be looking at Judas when he said, it's the guy I'm going to give this to. Because Judas knew, and Judas is playing this, who, who could do this? As you could possibly imagine. And Jesus hands it to him. But you notice what he did? He, he didn't point him out. He handed him food. What does that mean in that culture? I love you anyway. You are mine anyway. We are, the, we are brothers anyway. Just as he did on the cross with that forgive them, so they know not what they do, he's doing the same thing to, to, to Judas. Judas did not forgive himself, though, did he? He hung himself. I always tell people the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter came back. Judas gave up. And that's really the only reason why we don't name our kids Judas, but we'll name them Peter. It, it has stained that name, kind of like Adolf. kind of stains the name from then on. Um, this to me is one of the most profound moments in Jesus' life, and I've never heard a sermon on it in my life. He even hands him bread. When the Bible says the grace of God has appeared unto all men, does it really mean everybody? It sure seems to be. Jesus is not going to even hate him, saying, you're going to do this, go ahead and do it. Wow. No one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. They're still not getting it. And you might be saying, but he just said. I know he just said, but then he gave him food. So they would immediately think, well, okay, that's not it. We're misunderstanding. They're confused. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to go buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. I want you to look at the tense of the passage here, of the verbs in the passage. Does he say, I'm going to be killed and then resurrected, and that will glorify me? I'm assuming the people listening on the internet know they're not saying anything. You know, he's not saying that. But that's the way we often look at it. Oh, he will be glorified. And he is glorified. There is one, 
He will glorify him at once. There, there is one future in there. Jesus was glorified by the way he conducted himself and loved even Judas at the table. That's what glorified Jesus at this moment. That's what proved this is the Son of God and God is love. Do you ever caught that before? He was letting them know, this is how you know. You look like me. You act like me. This is what we do. Remember, he'd already told them, if your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. Do you realize what that meant to their culture? Now you do. Now, you're, be, being Americans, you need to have great pride in your military, even if you're anti-war. You really do, because of a lot of reasons. But one of the things you really need to know, while the British do this and, and other um, European forces I know do it, I know the Australians do it, I, I, New Zealand as well, they're, they're together, Anzac. Um, the Americans go farther in <coughs> taking care of wounded and captured enemy combatants than any other nation I know. I mean, they will spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars of surgery and, and repair to, to heal somebody who is just shooting at you. They will put people in harm's way to go get them and pull them off the field. In my opinion, that's a sign of Jesus at work. Even if the people in there don't believe in Jesus either side. This is what God says. We do this for each other, and that's what glorifies God. I'm not sure when I die, if my kids will honor me for the doctrines I had, but I bet they'll remember how I treated them. Right? How do you treat people? Well, moving on. I, w I would ask for questions, but you're, you're quiet lot today. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. He's still trying to get it through. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Had you ever put that with him feeding Simon from his own hand before? Because that's what he's doing. He's illustrating what this looks like. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How far have we fallen from this? Not our church, but just churches. We are a different kind of church here, and, and I'm very aware of that. And we've had a few instances where I've had the, uh, the safety team tell me. Visitors walk in, they're greeted. Oh, it's really, you know, okay, why? Well, pretty building. And they get to those back doors and they freeze because they see this up here with instruments. And then they think, we're not in the right church. And now they got to find a way to exit. And, oh, we left something in the car. What? Our good intentions. You know, whatever it is. I don't blame them at all. I would have done the same thing back many years ago. I would have done. But isn't it interesting what the mark of a real church and, a, and not a real church has become in every faith? You know, I have Catholic friends who truly believe Cammie and I are not married in the eyes of the Lord because a priest didn't do it. I tell them, yes, he did. He was a baptized believer, and that makes it a priest. And they're going, nope, not the same thing. Okay. 
but I want to treat you nice. By the way, they treat me nice too. It is love that is your badge, not your doctrine. How hard is this to get? When I say doctrine, by the way, that's a sloppy word because love is a doctrine. Love one another is a doctrine. So we had to, I wish we could be more pristine and precise, but I really don't have the words. Okay. <laughs> I'm hoping everybody else noticed that the lights went out. If not, <laughs> would you please call 911? I've had a stroke. Simon Peter didn't say, Lord, this loving everybody is really hard. He missed the whole lesson. He's, he's skipping back to something Jesus said earlier. Where are you going? You can always see Jesus sometimes going, no wonder he says, Peter, you know, Satan's been asking for you and I haven't been letting him have you. It's kind of like, yeah, don't push me. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now but you will follow later. Wow. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, in other words, listen up. Before the rooster, rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Now, you could say that what Jesus just said to Peter was unkind, and you would have a point but can you see why Jesus is at the limit of his frustration index? He has been trying to get something across to them, and it hasn't been getting there. So he is about to go into an extended teaching period. John 14, 15, and 16 are three of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. They are amazing. And it's because Jesus, rather than just letting this keep boiling up and then getting angry at them, kind of takes another breath, backs up. Instead of saying, you can't go where I'm going. First of all, I'm going. You can't go where I'm going. Well, you'll go later. Now he kind of backs up and tells them the whole story that they need to know. Do not let your heart be troubled. Were you, was it you that turned it off? Yeah. Have a, Brad, Brad, did he really turn him off? I, 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 I just, <laughs> By the way, I saw you. I saw you in your tux online. You, you are good looking, buddy. Yeah, I tell you, you're going. You're, you're making some hearts, dude. Um, John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also. We could dismiss right here, don't you think? Don't let your heart be troubled. I, uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook and such, and I have, a, I have my Twitter church, I call them, and I have my Facebook church, and they, they listen and they follow, and, but um, it's easy if you don't watch out to get sucked into the worry and fear because it cooks it, keeps going. And every so often, people at this church will stop me after a sermon and say they're disappointed in me that I did not go after this or go after that in world events, that I did not choose a side and preach and just be used to being disappointed in me because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, and I've got something else to do along the way. I'm too busy for this. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God or are you going to step into Jordan? You see this all comes right back? 
If you believe in God, you're going to step in the Jordan, even if Baal is in it. Don't worry. God's got you. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I really think this should be a different paragraph. But, regardless. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? In other words, I, I have... God is making a place for you. God is hospitable to you. He's already setting it up. You might be saying, but, 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 but Peter's going to go off. And you just said he's... he's and, and, and these others... And, and men are sinful men. God's building you a place. The grace of God has appeared unto all men. Do you ever sing that song? It's an old song. We don't sing it here. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver, a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one, a silver lined. I hate that song. <laughs> I really do. The theology in that song is awful. First of all, it's a lie. Nobody here is saying, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below. Nobody here, except a hermit, and he scares the children. We also don't say a little silver and a little gold, or you'd be able to buy a candy bar at a uh, convenience store when the lotto is high. And you can't, because the line's out the door. But in that city, here, God, let me put in my, my order for the kind of house I want. I, when my dad, you know, they would sing that song at churches we were at, and I'd tell my dad, I can't sing that. And telling my dad that was like a declaration of war. If you, you know, and, and he'd say, why not? And I'd say, because, frankly, I'd like a nicer house, but in heaven, I don't care if I, I live in a pup tent. And he thought for a while, and he goes, well, okay, then don't sing that. Went, First battle I ever won. Uh, it, I still have a hard time with that. This, this whole, in heaven we'll get our mansion, and some mansions are closer. To, I've, had, I've heard these sermons. Some closer to God than others because of the way you lived your life. No, there's one house. And he's making a room for you. He's getting it ready for you. Every so often, because we're at that stage of life, where now they come to us. You know, uh, the year that it's our year. <laughs> you know, the kids will come to us for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. Uh, they're on a rotation with the competition, the, the other parents. Yeah, not, I, don't, I don't think it's competition, but anyway. Uh, I think they're clear winners here. But don't, don't get me started. Um, but also, Cammie's parents will come. My parents can't, you know, their, their health and situation will allow them to uh, even go around the block at this stage. And so, uh, but they'll come and... A long time before they get there, Cammy starts making ready. When we were first married, this was annoying to me on several levels because it, it just seemed like she was stressing out, stressing out. So now I realize what it is, is this is, where, this is what love looks like. She, Because uh, you know, I would say, they don't really care if that little thing, decorative things. No, but it's her showing love, preparing, preparing, preparing. And she's taught me so much in my life, and that's one of the things she's taught me. I still don't get the pillows. They're like, you ever see Star Trek, the one with the tribbles? Where they just start going, and they're, it's pillows. It's like Jenga puzzles, no matter where you turn. Anyway, she's in the room. Can, we come separately, so I'm hoping uh, she cools down. The, the point is, it's being made pretty for you. It's being made pretty for you. God is preparing this for you. That's the first thing he wanted them to know. 
He's going to give them some bad news. But the first thing he wants them to know is it's going to be okay. Have you ever had to give somebody bad news and you had to start with, first of all, I'm okay. Second of all, I no longer own that car. <laughs> you, know, that, you, you have to, but you should lead with the I'm okay. He's telling them, you're going to be okay. I, I love this about Jesus. He's under great stress here. But he starts by saying, we have, God has room for you. That's what the waitress at Steak and Shake needs to know. Now, if I just said that to her, she would have probably thought, oh, okay. I got to find a way to go back without eating the food. Food. P-H-U-D, food. And um, find a way to let her know that God has room for her. And the same people at you know, Walmart or wherever you are, we've got to teach them. First thing God wants you to know is don't worry. He's got you. And again, I could stop right here, but I'm not allowed to. Not 45 minutes. This is the only gig I've got. I've got to move on. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. I'm going to stop there because he's talking to us like children because just like children, what are we like? Yesterday, we went to see my grandson's basketball game and we always enjoy that. And all three grandsons are there and it's a, it's a party. Uh, after the game... We were going to the Ryman to a concert. My daughter was taking our eight and six-year-old to the Preds game, the three of them. She's fearless. Don't know where she gets that, but she was, she's ready. And then the, the wee one, little Ollie's two years old, and he had not been consulted on the plan. He belongs to mommy. And as soon as the transfer took place, oh, there was wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth and ashes in the air and the wearing of sackcloth because mommy, mommy. Why? Because they don't quite understand at that age, mommy will come back. Going away is not a sign that mommy doesn't love you. But do we really get that message ourselves when those times come? And Cammie and I recently had a year, which we call the year from hell. Uh, so much pain, so much loss, so much disappointment, all just, and we realize this is an attack. The hard thing to do is realize when God seems to have gone away, he still has you and he's coming back. How hard is that to learn? Does anybody else struggle with this? Because we certainly do. And we talk it out. Yes, there's a hand. We're, we're not there yet, but let's go there. Because um, the next line is he says, and where I'm going, you know the way. I do not believe that this is any reference to either, and there's a, a division within churches as to whether heaven is out there somewhere, interdimensional, around us, uh, or out, but still out there, or whether it's going to be a renewed earth. Most Church of Christ preachers under 40, I would say, are saying a renewed earth. A lot in other churches are as well. Protestants and Catholics are coming to that feeling. I'm still, I don't care. You know, I, I, either way, you know, why, why am I bothered? But 
I understand the points from both, but I don't think he's addressing that. I think he's actually making a Semitic way of re referring to a death. Everybody knows about death. Uh, you know the way that I'm not going to, I'm not all that happy about. But there's a way through the way is what they're about to learn. There's a path through the way. Um, well, watch out there. There, I'd like to be with, it's, it's kind of like if a preacher says, who wants to go see Jesus? And everybody's going, yay. But one guy's just sitting there going, just looking around. And he goes, well, what's wrong with you? And he goes, well, if you're getting up group to go now, no. That's that, he's at that, this is good news, bad news thing. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And once again, he is saying, when I, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is saying, I've got you. I've got you. We, um, we had, um, Duncan had, our little boy. He was, I don't know, maybe two or three or four. We decided he needed swim lessons, and he got the world's worst swim teacher. He really did. And the, day one, we looked at each other, and I looked at each other, appalled. Because she said, now jump in, jump in. Susie jumped in, she backed up and let him go under. And then she picked him up. And I'm going, no. If you're going to let him go under, and that's an important lesson to know how to be under, you have to tell him that's what's going to happen. I don't believe in it. And nurses and doctors looking at kids and they say, is this going to hurt? Them saying no either. If it's going to hurt, tell them. It's going to hurt. And, but it won't hurt long. You're going to take care of this. But he didn't want to swim for a long time. It was hard to get him back in the water. Why? He didn't trust them. God keeps saying, I got you. I got you. I took lifeguard lessons back in the day and, and, and really enjoyed it. I've never saved anybody from drowning, and I don't want to. Because I kept hearing stories of you swimming out to save somebody, and they take you down. And that whole thing about how you have to come at them from behind, you know, and you have to get this kind of hold because if you come in front, they're going to, you have to get behind, you have to pull. And one of the things they said you had to keep saying is, I've got you, let loose, relax. I've got you, I've got you. And I can't help but think of that every time I think of Jesus saying, I've got you. But I'm the only one that can get you. This is, and, and we'll wrap this up here and come back to it next week. This is what is offensive about Christianity. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of your options. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. I've told you this story before, but allow me to repeat it as a, as a reminder. It's got to be 20 years ago now. I've been up teaching at Ohio State for almost 20, I think. So it was way back in the beginning there, and I was speaking, and uh, somebody during the class asked, they said, uh, looking at your bio, you're a minister. And I said, yes. And they said, but you're teaching the science thing here, and how can you be a minister in science? And I said, you know, I, I, I'm going to answer your question, but I can't until the big hand is on, the, and the little hand is, and when that class is over, anybody can stay and ask me questions. And class dismissed that day, and it wasn't a big class, but I, I, maybe 30 or 40, and they all stayed. And I was going, uh oh, uh, did that inside. And the person that asked a question says, do you believe that you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? And I said, yes. I didn't tell him. I even thought it was a bit more complex than that. <laughs> There's baptism. And, yeah, I, I didn't go. I, I went, yeah. 
and the whole room. Now, before you go any further, I would like to hear your words on this. I pulled up a marker on the whiteboard, and I said, I believe that you have to go through Jesus to get to heaven. And you say that makes me, and, um, you know, they're stupid and ignorant and old-fashioned and narrow-minded. I wrote all those down. And there were a few words that I'm not going to say here, but I know how they're spelled because we have a military family. So I put those up as well. And at the very end, they run out of words. I I think they were wondering where this is going because I kept asking for more. I said, I told you that I believe that you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. You say, that makes me, and I went, I read all of them. I turned around and said, and you are absolutely correct, unless I'm right. And if I'm right, none of this applies. Then I told a story about, at that time, my brother-in-law was a fireman in Texas. The concept, which just cracks me up, frankly, because first of all, it's that hot anyway. But two, Texans mosey. So how do you get fire? I, I, I think you should import them from other states. Go like, well, there's a fire. You know, and, and I know, because my in-laws, you know, they, my father-in-law lives there. But anyway, um, if, we, if Cammie and I were in a house and it was smoke-filled and we're down on the ground trying to get a breath and we're, we're confused, and here comes Alan crawling through and he goes, follow me, I know the way out. Am I going to look at him and go, ooh, look at you, you little arrogant, narrow-minded, I know the only way. No. Sometimes there is one way to do this, just one way. You don't have to like it, but that's reality. We went from there. I didn't baptize anybody at the end of it. That would have made a great preacher story. But the fact is, Jesus is here saying, there is a way. You are going to take that path. You know that path, but you need to know how to get through that path. I am the way. And we'll start there next week. Cheerio. Run away.